Hello and welcome to the Wittenberg Door, a weekly broadcast that examines what Lutheran Christians believe about God, the world, and us. I'm Pastor Brett Cornelius of Gethsemane Lutheran Church, and I invite you to join us for the next hour. And later, we will take questions at 740-383-9944, that's 740-383-WWGH, or on Facebook at the Wittenberg Door, where you can submit your questions live. Please join us now on the Wittenberg Door. Good Friday morning, folks, and welcome to another edition of the Wittenberg Door. We're glad you're with us this Friday morning, or if you're listening to us uh, replay on Sunday morning or Wednesday evening. Uh, And uh, we are missing today my bodyguard, Alan Dean. We miss him, and uh, hopefully he'll join us next time. Oh, there he is! Alan Dean has entered the building. I I feel protected and safe already. <laughs> All right. Folks, if you're listening live this morning, uh, this Friday morning, remember, this is a call-in program. You can call us at 740-383-9944. That's 383-WWGH. Or you can post questions on our Facebook group, The Wittenberg Door. And there you can leave a question or comment. We'll be happy to address it on the air. I'm going to just move some of these things over. Hello, Alan. How are you doing? All right. Glad to have you this morning. And uh, we're going to start this morning with a comment on the tragic news out of Charleston, South Carolina. You've all heard of the terrible murder spree at Emmanuel AME Church. But I'm going to start this morning with a psalm. Psalm 91 was written as a song of comfort to God's people. And it goes like this. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. This week, our nation was treated to another example of senseless violence, inspired by hate and driven by madness. The difference was, this time it was a church. A church, that place where people come to find refuge from the madness of the world. The church, that place where we sit at the feet of Jesus and hear his instruction 
where we are told to love our neighbor and do good to those who mistreat us. The church, that place of refuge and safety and security, that place that welcomes strangers, feeds the poor, and clothes the naked. The stranger was welcomed at Emmanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina, Wednesday night. He was probably greeted with a smile and a handshake. If Emmanuel was like our congregation, they were happy to have him there, even excited to have a visitor. He sat calmly with him for an hour before he got up to do his demonic work. He went about and coldly took the lives of nine saints, returning their warm welcomes with cold hate. In what seems like a twisted desire to have the story told reminiscent of the film Natural Born Killers, he left one witness alive to tell the story. He fled the house of the Lord to find refuge in another state, but he was thankfully caught and will now answer for his crime. But what of those nine, and what of God's promises to them? They took refuge in the Lord. They were seeking the shelter of the Almighty. No harm was to come to them. They made the Lord their refuge and even the Most High their dwelling place. God promised to cover them with his pinions and to be a shield and bulwark to them. No evil was supposed to befall them. The angels were to guard them. They were told not to be afraid of the arrow that flies by day or the terror by night. Yet terror came to them. This crazed young man pursued them right into the house of the Lord. So what of God's promises? Where was God? The New Testament teaches us that this psalm was written about Christ. Uh, It is a part of the temptation that the devil makes when he says to Christ to, to jump off the temple because he will give his angels charge concerning you. The Christ who came among us and lived under the threat of violence from the time he was born. In order to snuff him out, King Herod wiped out a village of young boys. He lived his life hated and feared by the elite. He was pursued unjustly, tried by false accusations, and cruelly sentenced to die an innocent death. It was hate and madness that scourged him, spit upon him, beat him bloody, and nailed him to a cross. It wasn't gentle. It wasn't pretty. It was horror. If we ask the question, where is God in the midst of violence, we only have to look at the cross. That's where God is, suffering violence and saving the world from sin and death. He who suffered hate and violence and death at the hands of cruel men is no stranger to hate and violence and death. He is our companion in it. He is the one who has overcome it. He suffered, died, and was buried, and on the third day he rose again. He has become the Savior of the world, and everyone who calls upon his name will be saved. He is our rock and our fortress, our strong tower and our deliverer. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. The nine saints of Emmanuel AME Church have been rescued. They have been saved from sin and death by the one who suffers with them. 
Sin cannot harm them, and hell cannot touch them. Their lifelong enemies, the devil, the world, and their own sinful natures have been crushed by our Lord. They cannot harm them. They are with the Savior where moths and rust cannot destroy, thieves cannot break in and steal, and deranged young men can never harm them. They will never again be afraid. Pestilence and destruction can no longer frighten them. No plague will come near their tent. They have been set securely on high because they have known the name of Jesus. Christ will satisfy them with eternal life because they have made the Lord their refuge. Our brothers and sisters in Christ, the Reverend Clementa Pinckney, Cynthia Hurd, Tawana Sanders, Sharonda Singleton, Myra Thompson, Ethel Lentz, Susie Jackson, the Reverend Daniel Simmons Sr., and DePayne Doctor, dwell in the shelter of the Most High, and they abide in the shadow of the Almighty. They serve the Savior who promised them eternal life, and now they have their reward. It was really such a, a senseless tragedy, wasn't it, Alan? Oh, yeah. And it's, uh, you know, you, you wonder sometimes how, uh, <laughs> how, these, how these thoughts and imaginations get into the hearts of men. Uh, mm-hmm. how, how, how someone can be so carried away uh, by hate or rage or a sense of vengeance. Who knows what it was? And, of course, uh, we don't know and won't know for some time exactly what it was. We can uh, only hope that uh, this, this young man will recover something of his humanity. Uh, we certainly know that with the Lord there is abundant forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm, I'm sure that we're joining those nine saints from uh, Emmanuel AME Church. Uh, in praying for his, praying for his soul, and praying for his uh, his recovery. Uh, so that's uh, kind of a, a sour note to start the broadcast off with. Mm-hmm. Uh, bad news. We do have good news today, folks, and we're going to share that with you in a few minutes. Uh, but I want to address, and we did have, you know, you know, this is a. Uh, this is a uh, call-in program. It's a, a, a program where you can post your questions and comments. And we did have a question from one of our listeners uh, today, uh, Rick from Marion, uh, who uh, asked the question, what, what do you think of the Quran? Uh, and uh, it's a great question. Uh, you know, the Quran is... Uh, the religious book of a uh, it's it's another religion altogether, and uh, I certainly uh, don't claim to be well acquainted with it. Uh, I don't know it very well. I've never read it cover to cover. I've picked it up at times and and looked at things, and probably is something that would be worthwhile studying. It's uh, you know how many Muslims are in the world and how many people are uh, attracted to that religion. Uh, uh, it certainly behooves us as Christians, to know what other people believe. Um, but I've, I have personally never picked it up and, and uh, uh, studied it at any length. So uh, what do I think of the Quran? I can only make a statement about the Quran based on 
what uh, adherents to the Muslim religion uh, state that they believe or state that the uh, Book of Quran actually teaches. And I, I think first and foremost am, among those claims would be that there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, kind of a creedal statement that most Muslims make based on the writings of Muhammad found in the Quran. And uh, uh, so I'm going to analyze that statement a little bit. There is no God but Allah. And I think I've addressed this before on air, uh, but I think I'll, I'll, I'll take another stab at it. You know, uh, we don't give names to God. The reason that we don't give names to God is because uh, to name something is to claim some authority over it. Whenever you name something, who do you name? You name your children, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So your, your children are the, are the primary people that you name. Uh, you may have a friend that you give a nickname to because he belongs to your group or, you know. So, but generally speaking, uh, the naming of something implies authority over that thing or that person. Uh, one classic example of this is when Nebuchadnezzar conquered Jerusalem and, and took uh, a number of Jews, exiled them to, to Babylon. He took some of the royal household of, of the king of Jerusalem, the king of Ju- Judea, and uh, took some of his royal family, and he made them his counselors. And the first thing he did was he renamed them. Mm-hmm. And Daniel was renamed Belteshazzar after Nebuchadnezzar's god. Uh, there was, of course, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were Jews but were given these uh, Babylonian names as, a, as kind of a symbol of uh, Nebuchadnezzar's authority over them. Mm-hmm. So to name something implies that you have authority over it. So it, does it make a difference, the name that we give to God? It certainly does. Because we can't name God. God names himself. And so uh, the name Allah that's been uh, given to God by adherents of Islam, and, and, I, and I believe uh, even before Muhammad that it was kind of a common Arabic name uh, for God, it makes a difference what we call God. Uh, so God, so God names Himself. Uh, he identifies Himself to Moses as Yahweh, the Lord, and it's a name that all three persons of the Trinity share. We find in Matthew twenty-eight nineteen uh, that Jesus commands His disciples, "Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name." of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, that name that all three persons of the Trinity share. Today we would say the Lord uh, because, uh, uh, you know, this, this is uh, uh, how God has identified himself. And so uh, the, the first statement that Muslims make based on the teachings of the Quran that there is no God but Allah, we would say there is no God but the Lord. There is no God but Yahweh. And that God has identified himself, and that God has uh, revealed himself most explicitly in the words of Jesus, in the teachings of Jesus, and of course of the apostles and prophets who, 
who, inspired by the Holy Spirit, uh, revealed who God is. God revealed himself through those writings of the prophets, and especially through the teachings of Jesus. And so if we were, if we were to say uh, Muhammad is his prophet, uh, the writer of Hebrews says God spoke to his uh, people in, in past ages and in, in many portions and in many ways, but in these last days, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. We must say that really Christ is the prophet of God. God. Christ is the one who reveals who God is. And so we would say that that claim that the, that the Islam makes, that uh, there is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. That is a false claim. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to attack uh, the Quran, which I know very little about. Uh, although I know that the the teachings of Islam uh, are derived from that book, uh, I, I can't really uh, give you any analysis at any length about it. Uh, so, uh, Rick, thanks for your question, folks. I want to remind you: if you do have a question or comment you'd like to make. Uh, our number is 740-383-9944. Yeah, 9944-383-WWGH. And uh, so, Alan, mm-hmm. we have some good news today. Mm. And uh, where does our good news come from? From the Word? From the Word of mm-hmm. God, okay. And uh, this Sunday, folks, is the third Sunday after Trinity. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we're going to read the lessons from the third Sunday after Trinity. Alan, if you'll, if you'll start by reading our intro at this, this week. Okay, the intro. At. <clears throat> Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Consider my affliction and my trouble, and forgive all my sins. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you trust, I trust. Let me not be put to shame. You are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. O guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. And glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. Consider my affliction and my trouble, and forgive all my sins. Now, this is something you find frequently in the Psalms. You know, uh, many of the Psalms were written by David. Uh, there was a, uh, at least one written by Moses, and then there's a number of other writers of the psalms but primarily uh they're written by david and david um david was a warrior david was a a king a political official and uh and uh, was responsible for uh protecting the people of god and protecting the nation of israel uh and uh, david also was a man who was subject to violence Mm-hmm. Uh, subject to threats, and uh, and you might say constantly under uh, under the threat of death or violence, uh, whether it was from enemies within his kingdom or uh, enemies from the surrounding nations. And here's what David often does: he comes to God, and he and 
And, uh, of course, uh, for a warrior, uh, uh, a shield and a buckler, these are very important things, a fortress, uh, a refuge, a uh, hiding place. These are all very important things to an army or to a commander of an army. And uh, who is his shelter and who is his refuge but God himself? He's trusting in God. And, uh, and he's trusting in God and this is uh, something that is in the antiphon there that you read. Uh, he's trusting in God as a sinner. Mm-hmm. Uh, Turn to me and be gracious to me. Uh, and uh, to be gracious means to uh, to not look upon our sins, to not uh, consider our sins. Um, uh, and David here here is even more explicit. He says, uh, and forgive all my sins. Uh, because we all have them, don't we? No, oh, yes. Day after day, in our thoughts, words, and deeds, we we uh, fall short of the glory of God. We fall short of His commandments, and uh, we can only come to God in the in the spirit of a sinner, which is what we are. and uh, And that's good news because God receives sinners, and, and God is gracious towards sinners, and God does forgive our sins in Christ. Okay. Uh, uh, Folks, we have our, in our lectionary system, we have an Old Testament, an epistle, and a, and a gospel lesson. So, Alan, what's our Old Testament lesson for this week? Our Old Testament readings from the book of Micah, chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgressions for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham, as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. And this is the word of the Lord. Okay, thanks, thanks be to God. God. Amen. Uh, so this is a kind of a, a short reading. Uh, from the prophet Micah. Uh, Micah was, uh, you know, uh, many centuries, uh, seven or eight centuries before Christ. I think he writes at the time of Isaiah. Uh, And much of what Micah has to say doesn't seem to be too good. Doesn't seem like good news to Israel. Micah comes and decries Israel for its sins, calls Israel to repentance, and... uh, and then, uh, and then makes these wonderful promises that God makes to us. These promises about, uh, about forgiveness based on who God is. And, uh, and this is how the reading opens. Who is a God like you? Who, uh, how does he say that again? Who pardons iniquities? Pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression. And, pa- and passing over transgression. So, uh, by the way, uh, iniquity is kind of a, uh, iniquity is really uh, uh, kind of a state of sinfulness. Uh, it's our sinful nature. Uh, sometimes you'll hear this word referred to in the plural, iniquities. Um, it's all the kinds of uh, sinfulness that we get ourselves into. And he pardons our iniquity. And this is, a, this is the language of government, right? This is the language of a kingdom. Uh, even in our nation today, uh, it's the president, the highest official, that offers pardon uh, to criminals, uh, for various reasons. Well, this is the God, who is a God like him, who pardons iniquity and uh, and passes over 
transgressions. And transgressions is another one of those words. Uh, it's kind of a, you know, we have, uh, uh, when we transgress God's commandments, we, we go where we ought not go. And we do the things that we should not do. And uh, God pardons our iniquity and he passes over our transgressions. And that, and that gives us hope. He forgives our sins. I love what he says there. Read, that, read that, those next few lines again, Alan. He says... Uh, he does not retain his anger forever. Yes, he doesn't, he doesn't retain his anger forever. It doesn't, it's not to say that God is not angry with sin. And, uh, and we can be angry with sin. Folks, a lot of us are angry about uh, this young man who went into this church in the last week and, and took the lives of these innocent people. Uh, anger is not sinful. Anger, anger is not an iniquity. Uh, there is such a thing as righteous anger. And uh, God, God's anger is righteous. And yet... It is not a, a, a permanent aspect of who God is. It's not a. It's not a. Um, it's not primarily how God addresses human beings or how He comes to human beings. It is anger. Uh, God desires most to come to us in love, to come to us in peace, to offer us forgiveness. So He doesn't retain His anger forever. What's, what's he, he goes on to say? What now? Uh, because he delights in steadfast love. That's who God is. Who is a God like Who is a God like our God? He's a God who delights in steadfast love. That's beautiful. That's wonderful. It's so comforting. Right. And uh, so, so he goes on. He says again. He will again have compassion on us. Yeah. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. <laughs> you will cast our sins into the depths of the sea. And you will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham. Isn't it wonderful what he's saying here? Uh, you know, we think of God sometimes in God's anger. We think that God is going to come and tread us underfoot. Mm-hmm. Uh, we think of Jesus' statement about those who lead others into sin, one, uh, who cause one of, uh, one of these little ones to sin. He says it'd be better for him if he uh, had a millstone tied around his neck and was thrown into the into the depth of the sea. We think of God's righteous anger, we think of it being directed toward people. And yet here, what Micah is promising the people of Israel, and what the Holy Spirit is promising us also, is that God is not angry. Uh, God's anger is going to be expressed here. It's going to be expressed at our sins. He's going to tread, not us, but our sins underfoot. He's going to take our sins. He's going to cast those into the depth of the sea. Which he treads our sins underfoot at the cross, where uh, where Christ is in a sense tread underfoot, where Christ is uh, uh, is cast into the power of the nations, uh, into the power of Rome, and uh, and God's righteous anger is expressed at the cross toward the Savior for the sake of sinners like you and me. <laughs> And uh, so, just wonderful. Uh, and the, how, how does he end that again? Let's uh, let's just repeat that. Oh, um, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> As you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Yeah. 
these are the promises. You know, oftentimes people get confused about the promises that God makes to Abraham. And they think that the promises are, are really about the land. And, uh, and yet... Uh, what the New Testament makes clear, and even what you hear in the Old Testament, what Micah is making clear, is that the promises are about uh, God himself and about God's mercy toward us, about God's steadfast love toward us. And so in trampling our sins underfoot, and we think we got a feedback or something, hmm. uh, in trampling our sins underfoot and in throwing our sins into the depths of the sea, uh, by, by addressing uh, his anger at the cross, um, God is keeping his promises. This is exactly what he's promised us, uh, what he promises us in the Psalms, that he will deliver us, that he will rescue us. That's exactly what he's done in Christ. And so we, uh, uh, when, we, when, we see, when we hear this reading from Micah, we really think about the gospel itself. Very good. Okay. Uh, and then the epistle reading. Mm-hmm. The epistle readings from the first book of Timothy, chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and excellent opponent. But I received mercy because I have acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that is that are in Christ Jesus the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save, save sinners of whom I am the foremost but I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost Jesus Christ a mighty display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So you have this, again, you have this uh, lesson from uh, Paul to, to his, uh, his companion, Timothy, as he's writing him here, and, and he's giving praise on account of the administration of the gospel that he's been entrusted with. Paul is a, a proclaimer of the gospel. Paul is an apostle. He's been sent by Christ in spite of the fact that he was a blasphemer, that he persecuted the church of God, that he desired to wipe the church out. And even that sin mm-hmm. uh, was forgiven him. Even that was wiped away. And not only was that sin wiped away, but Paul was entrusted to be a uh, uh, herald of the gospel, and, uh, and and Paul attributes this to the faith and love that are in Christ. And, you know, all of God's mercy finds its source in Christ at the cross, in His life, death, and resurrection. Uh, uh, we we can enjoy uh, this mercy of God. And, and he says here, this is a trustworthy statement that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He, did, he didn't come to save nice people. He didn't come to save good citizens. He didn't come to save uh, your grandmother 
who drives to church on Sunday and stays at home the rest of the week and makes meals and and uh, uh, knits for the poor and you know it, it, uh, he he didn't come to save only those who who go out and do some great work for the needy. Uh, uh, he came to save the corrupt. He came to save those who were trapped in sin and uh, uh, trapped in hate, mm-hmm. trapped by madness. And, you know, uh, it's interesting that this, this text comes up at the time of uh, uh, this, this event that happened this week because you know, here, is, here is Paul, a persecutor of the church, someone who was, and he will say later, say, driven mad by, the, uh, by his hatred and, uh, and wanted to wipe the church out. Uh, and yet, he says, uh, God's patience is an example for everyone who would believe in Christ because for me, as the foremost of sinners, Christ has shown mercy. Mm-hmm. And if and, and, and what, so what Paul's saying is, if Christ can show mercy to me, Christ can show mercy to you. Right? Exactly. And that's exactly what he's saying. And we think of this hymn uh, that's based on that lesson, by the way, Chief of Sinners Though I Be. Right? Remember that hymn? Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus shed his blood for me, died that I might live on high, uh, died that I might never die. Right? Mm-hmm. And why? Even as the chief of sinners, we can trust in God for his mercy and for his love. Amen. Okay. And do we have a, a question or a comment? Somebody post? No. No. Oh, okay. Don't. All right. Uh, folks, I want to remind you that our number, phone number here is 740-383-9944. This is a call-in program. If you'd like a, to air a question or a comment, we'd love to... Uh, have you do that or you can post to our facebook uh, group the wittenberg door and we'll certainly address your uh, questions online as we did for uh, rick earlier mm-hmm. uh, okay very good and uh, then we have uh, the final uh, lesson for this sunday is our gospel lesson the gospel lesson is from the book of luke in chapter 15 Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house, and seek diligently until she finds it. When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I have lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Okay, very good. Uh, well, here again is this theme that we have for the third Sunday after Trinity. It is, 
is the welcoming of sinners, God's love for sinners. And certainly in all three of those lessons, we see God's mercy, God's grace. Um, and here in the gospel lesson, as these, uh, as the observance is made that the, the tax collectors and sinners uh, were coming to Jesus, uh, the tax collectors were uh, kind of the the worst kind of people in the in the New Testament era in the uh, in the uh, New Testament age uh, in the culture of uh, Israel at the time. Uh, remember that Judea was a province of Rome now; that they had a Roman governor. And uh, so it was a foreign power that dominated Israel's soil. And many were, were bitter at it. Even if they cooperated with it, even if they went along uh, to get along, uh, they were bitter about the fact that they were uh, uh, subdued by Rome. And, of course, uh, where is that uh, uh, dominion of Rome most especially felt by all the people of Israel in their taxes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the fact that they had to pay taxes to this foreign government. And, uh, and so uh, the tax collectors were, were not a group of people that were uh, well-liked by any means. And, of course, the, uh, by tax collectors and sinners. He's talking about tax collectors and, and various people of uh, mm-hmm. sinful nature. And here's the Pharisees and the and the scribes who are pointing this out. And what do they say about Jesus? They say, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Right? To, to sit down and have a meal with somebody, even today, to sit down and have a meal with somebody is a, is a gesture of uh, preferred friendship. Uh, when you, when you uh, meet with somebody, when you eat with them, it... it uh, it requi- it uh, it uh, is regarded as a, uh, a fellowship of mm-hmm. sorts, mm-hmm. and so uh, here is Jesus. He is fellowshipping with these sinners, and he's eating with them <laughs> because he came to identify with sinners. You know, uh, another thing that we see in the New Testament when Jesus goes to be baptized and. And as the writers, the gospel writers, when they remark about what John's baptism was, what was John's baptism about? It was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, mm-hmm. right? And uh, one of the writers says, uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they, the, the scribes, uh, wouldn't be baptized by John because to be baptized was to admit that you're a sinner, Right, so they refused to be baptized by John, and so uh, what does it mean then, Alan, when Jesus is baptized? He is free of sin. <laughs> well, he's free of sin, of course, but uh, when he steps into that water, what would everybody have believed about Jesus? They believed he goes in there to confess his sins. Oh, okay, yeah. Right? right yeah. And uh, so I think it might be your headphones that are, <laughs> might be interacting. Anyway, uh, he goes into... Uh, so for all intents and purposes, in his baptism, Jesus is identifying with sinners, right? Mm-hmm. Which he does. There in, the, in his baptism, he takes up our sin. He who was free from sin 
takes up our sin and carries it to the cross. Uh, and he eats with these guys. He eats with sinners. And, and, and by the way, uh, to be called a sinner in the first century by, by Jews in the first century was to basically mean you have no hope. You're outside of God's kingdom. You're outside of God's purposes. And here Christ turns all that on, on its head because this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then he tells them this, uh, this parable. Well, this gives them this example. What man of you, if he has a hundred sheep, he says, will not leave the 99 and go and find the one who is straying? And this tells us what Jesus thinks of sinners. He says, I love them. I value them, and I will go find them, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other, the other story he tells uh, about the woman who loses a coin. She has 10 coins. She loses one. She's going to light the lamp. She's going to search that. She's going to sweep the house. She's going to look, look under everything until she finds it. Why? Because it's valuable in her eyes. And for whatever reason, folks, God considers you and me valuable. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to lose us. He doesn't want to lose you. And so he goes and he searches and he finds the lost and he brings them back. And uh, of course he's he's talking about repentance here. And so Jesus says, you know, when the shepherd finds the sheep, what does he do? He puts it on his shoulders and he comes home and he he rejoices. He calls his friends to them and he says, "Rejoice with me." Because my sheep that was lost has been found. Uh, the woman, when she finds the coin, calls her friends and says, let's rejoice because the, the coin that I lost is found. And Jesus' uh, point is this, that there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than what? Than over 99 righteous persons. No, 99 righteous who need no repentance. Need no. Now, here's, here's the thing about this, this text here. Who are the 99 who need no repentance? The truth is... They don't exist. That's right. All 100 of them need repentance. Right? And this is kind of a tongue-in-cheek answer that Jesus is giving. He's not saying that there are, there, that there are some who are righteous and need no repentance. In fact... The point of these stories, and the next story he tells is the parable of the prodigal son, which the parable of the prodigal son ends with the older brother who so despises his younger brother that he won't rejoice together with the father when the young brother comes home, mm-hmm. right? He, uh, he castigates his father, in fact, for accepting uh, such a person back into the household. And, of course, the point is this, that in the kingdom of God, it's not those who are repentant sinners who are outside the kingdom, but it is those 99 righteous or those 99 who think they have no sin, who think their lives are perfect, uh, who thinks that they, they fit with God very nicely. They are the ones who are outside of the kingdom. They are the ones with whom uh, Jesus does not eat because this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. You know, this often comes up in relation to communion. People will, people will often ask, you know, uh, Pastor, if, I, if I've done something wrong or if I've, uh, if I've got a problem, I can have a sin in my life, uh, should I come to communion? 
Uh, they're worried about the admonitions that Paul gives when he uh, tells us to beware of unrepentant sin. That is, uh, sin that we're they're not sorry for, sin that we haven't turned to Christ for. Uh, uh, and, and, of course, St. Paul does tell us uh, that, uh, you know, uh, we come to the communion table with repentance. And so they'll wonder, should I even come? And a lot of people who who don't don't ask and just don't feel worthy of coming to communion because they believe they've got some sin in their life. They they, they don't they don't think they're worthy of of God's love. Uh, when the truth is, every week when we begin our service, Alan, what do we do? I How do, Absolution. Yeah, we, we confess our sins and we receive absolution. Right. Because every one of us are the lost sheep. And in that divine service, Jesus is finding us. Jesus is lighting that lamp of the holy gospel. And he's, he's finding lost sinners and bringing them to him so that he can welcome them and he can sit and eat with them. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Absolutely. And so when we come to the when we come to the service, we don't come as these ninety-nine righteous who need no repentance. We come as as the lost one who needs to repent and believes, as we've read in the other lessons, that he will find forgiveness and mercy because of the patience and steadfast love of the Lord. I mean, just a this is really just a very comforting passage of scripture to people who feel that they're sinful. It provides no comfort to people who don't think they're sinful. Right. But if you believe you're sinful, then it provides a tremendous amount of comfort because Christ is welcoming you. He's bringing you to where the church gathers so that he can eat with you. Actually, even more than that, so that he can feed you. So that he can feed you with his own body and blood for the forgiveness of sins. And that's what uh, that's what the kingdom of God is like. Mm-hmm. The kingdom of God is... a. Uh, is a joyful celebration of the sinner who is sorry for his sin and has turned to Christ for mercy and has found it in Christ because of his life, death, and resurrection. So, very good news. Good news. Hitting the broadcast on good news today. Right. Okay. Well, folks, uh, we thank you for being with us again today. Uh, thank you for joining us this Friday morning. I want to remind you that our broadcast will be re-aired this Sunday morning at 9.12 a.m. and next Wednesday at 7.12 p.m. You can continue to post your questions or comments on our Facebook group, The Wittenberg Door. And I just want to say that if you don't have a church home, we invite you to join us on Sunday mornings. Uh, actually, now Saturday afternoons and Sunday mornings, we have a Saturday afternoon service at 4.30. And we have a Sunday morning service, of course, like most churches, at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. And uh, so we invite you for that. Gethsemane Lutheran Church is located at 219 East Church Street in downtown Marion. We're right beside Rocky's Bicycle Shop. That's kind of a landmark for Marionites. Mm-hmm. People have been going there for years. So we welcome you to come. You will be welcome with us, folks. And uh, we invite you to join us here live next Friday at 11, 12 a.m. on WWGH 107.1, The Talking Place.